Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin Hahnemann, ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. We're talking retail today. You're going to hear all about the Singari family. I mean, they, they have been in this space for years, um, and they have got so much amazing expertise to share on the podcast today is Tom Singari. Tom, it is so great to have you on the podcast. It's nice to be here, Justin. I'm so happy to be a part of the podcast, and I can't wait to tell my story. I can't either. Um, and <laughs> you have an interesting one. And for those that are listening and who love this space, you're going to get like this combination of like retail, which we've spent a lot of time on, of course, on the podcast, and like this whole leadership and entrepreneurship angle. Like you can hear about how their business started, how it's grown over the years. So I just think you're really going to um, find value in the next 20, 25 minutes. And it's so great, again, to have you with us, Tom. So uh, now that I've done this extraordinary setup, <laughs> how about share a little about you and your family, kind of the give the backstory before before where we got to today. Sure. Yeah. So um, uh, my our company started out, uh, we were called Grade A Market. And so the, the how it really started was my great-grandfather emigrated over to the United States from Italy. In 1919 was when he first came over, um, went back to Italy for a couple of years. And then, you know, full-time came back, I believe it was 1929. Um, and he was just a day laborer uh, in Connecticut. He actually emigrated in through Emma, uh, Ellis Island and then ended up in Stanford, Connecticut, which is where I still, basically my entire family still lives in the same neighborhood that he he ended up in back back in the you know late 20s, early 30s. And he, uh, you know, he started building roads and, and sidewalks and stuff like that. And, you know, eventually started uh, by buying one, 20 pound box of, of dried pasta and, you know, divvied it up into 21 pound packages and started selling, selling all different stuff off of a push cart um, in in the neighborhood. Yeah. And then graduated from there to a a refrigerated small school bus that he had, (laughs) uh, he had rigged (laughs) up. Yeah. He rigged it up and, and he would sell fresh produce and pasta and cheeses and, and stuff just to the neighborhood, to the, you know, the housewives in the neighborhood back then. Um, and then I guess it was in the late forties, early fifties when he first, you know, when they first opened up their first storefront, um, which was just, you know, it was about a four or 500 square foot. Now it's a barbershop. So that'll tell oh, you wow. how small it was. <laughs> right. uh, just a little, yeah, exactly. It's just a little neighborhood market called grade a market. And, uh, my great grandfather and his three sons then came into the business, um, which was my grandfather and his two brothers. Uh, you know, and then from there is when we really started to expand. You know, they they bought the uh, across the street from the little store. They bought an old ice cream factory that they uh, that they renovated into a, which was our first supermarket, right? And so that was our first store. Um, we opened up. You know, in the next ten years, we opened up two other small little neighborhood markets. And then in 1991, our family joined the Wakeford Cooperative, which is, uh, Got it. Yep. you know, that's why now we are ShopRite. Got um, it. So our, our, you know, we have 12 locations in Connecticut. Um, so from 1930 to now, uh, you know, we've grown quite significantly. Um, we now have 12 supermarket locations in Connecticut, uh, mostly based in Fairfield County, but goes all the way up to Litchfield County. 
uh, in Connecticut. And um, yeah, we have like over 2,600 employees now. Amazing. And uh, yeah, so a, a, lot, a lot that that happened in between, but you know, I'm sure. high level view. <laughs> High level view. That's that's how our family started in the grocery business. Amazing. So for many of you probably know Shoprite, and um, it's really cool that you guys are, have a, a strong, like a good number of locations. And then has it grown that over time? Obviously, it wasn't always twelve. Did you, how did that develop? And, and and how do you think about like opening new stores or acquiring other types of stores and bringing them into your family business? How do you think about that? Yeah, it's it's almost on a case by case basis. So when I was a little kid, we only had three stores, um, and. You know, when I had, uh, you know, I worked in the, the business since I was like seven years old. But right. since, you know, when I graduated from college and and came full time into the business, we had seven stores at the time. And so that was in 2007. So from 2007 to now, we've grown from seven stores to 12. Um, in right around 2007, eight is when uh, Shaw's went out of business in right. um, in our area. And we had purchased three of those uh through that acquisition so you know that was a big leap for us going from seven to ten right and then uh you know just over the next couple of years you know we we find locations that that you know look promising that we feel like we can do a great job in and and you know they kind of present themselves to us and we're always looking so you know we're always looking to expand and some of them are defensive moves you know some of them sure. are offensive moves um, we've been more on the offense than defense recently, so <laughs> that's, that's been good. But yeah, now, you know, we're up to 12. That's amazing. You know, you're part of a, a, a major brand, right? A lot of people know the ShopRite brand. They may or may not, you know, your store, depending if they live in your area, but how do you, how does the brand ensure brand kind of consistency, right? And your 12 stores versus any other stores under the ShopRite banner, how does that work? Because a lot of our yeah. audience may not be as familiar with that as we might be. Yeah, it's, that's an interesting question. So you know, uh, it, Shoprite uh, Wakefern, our, our retail cooperative, is the largest retail uh, food cooperative in the country. And so, how we started was, I think it was three or four families that were all buying at the, you know, the Hunts Point Produce Market together, and realized, why are we doing this? Why are we using our scale and, <laughs> right. and buying as one? And and honestly, it was just a couple of guys sitting around having coffee that developed the the Wakefern Cooperative. And, you know, now I think we're 53 or 54 separate families that all individually ran our own, you know, independent retail chains at one point. Right. So we all have our own. Yeah. So we all have our own, you know, interesting lineage and story about how our our business started, because we were all at one point individual entrepreneurs and which is actually what makes us really great, right? It, it, it sets us aside from, you know, maybe a franchisee or something like that. Exactly, exactly. Is we're all super invested in our company. Our It's, you know, it's our family's lifeblood. Um, we have that entrepreneurial spirit. And the, and stores do differ from, you know, from one company to the other. Sure. Um, it, it all depends on, you know, not only the, the town that they're in, but it's the neighborhood that they're in, wow. right? So Got my it. philosophy, you know, on coming to market may be different from the guy up the road. But, um, you know, what makes us really great is that we're able to literally tailor each store to the neighborhood that it's in. And a so lot of times cool. these bigger, co you know, these these bigger, you know, corporations, they're, you know, kind of, you know, one size fits all. And so we literally, we know our customer inside and out. We know exactly who they are. We listen to them. We ask them questions. They give us their feedback. And we really tailor our product assortment in each store 
to that. And, you know, just as a, for instance, we have four stores in one town. Uh, we have four stores in the, in the, in the city of Stanford, right. Uh, in Connecticut and all four stores are totally different from each other. Interesting. Yeah. I was totally going to ask different. you about that, about the category management and thinking about like the set and store and like catering it to who shops the store. Right. I mean, a hundred percent. That's not yeah, easy to do when you're a big chain. It's very difficult to do, but you know, if you, if you do it, you know, on a store by store basis and you really know your customer and you're really in there in the trenches with them, that's how you're able to kind of execute that at store level. Sure. And it's not, it's not as easy as it sounds, you know, because, you know, there's, there's, there's product lines, there's, there's different demographics in each neighborhood and in each town and really curtailing that to what the customer wants. It takes sure. a long time and it takes, you know, time and effort and a lot of hard work. So, but we you know. It's it's what we do and it's what we love. Interesting. Uh, yeah, we've got a lot of brands that listen to our show that probably would ask, "Hey, how how do you guys think about you know the upstart, you know the next cookie dough company, the next beverage line, the next fill in the blank?" It, do you use you know from a category perspective data to say, "Well, I see your trend. You know, here to show us the numbers somewhere else." Or yeah. are you willing to test? Like, how do you think about that versus like a, a Coca Cola or Mars or Kellogg's or Pepsi? You know, like where it's kind of like in, you know the, anyway, a little more clarity, right? Yeah, no, I mean, we totally do. So we have our, our buying staff at Wakeford um, and they do some of the heavy lifting for us, bringing us, you know, new things. And But what ends up happening a lot of times is that we, as the membership, we, we'll find a great product, right? We'll find a new and right. innovative product. You might we'll, find we'll something that's to, taken off, right? 100%. And we'll bring it to them. And, and, and a lot of times what we'll do is say it's a new coffee brand that's like new and upcoming. Sure. We'll test it and pilot it at our stores, right? And we'll we'll share the data with the co-op. And a lot of times that tells some of these smaller brands will get in, right? They'll get into one of the members and we'll show either the success or not the success. Sure. Or maybe we need to, you know, curtail that that item and maybe do a different price point or whatever it may be. And that's a lot of times like we've seen really a lot of success with bringing in, you know, a local vendor that, you know, was local to us, but we found was a really amazing product. Totally. And we put it, you know, front and center. And we had the people, the merchandisers in the stores that are really, you know, really close to that product that care a lot about it. And, you know, we'll see a lot of success if you're really willing to put, you know, your best foot forward for a product that you believe in. So a lot of times it's like, yeah, you can put whatever product you want on the shelves and it'll sell or it won't. <laughs> right. But what, 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 what we do is, is we make sure that our values and, and, and everything are aligned with that other company as well. Interesting. And, you know, from a product standard standpoint, from, you know, everything that has to, that it has to do with. Um, and so that's kind of how the product assortment works. Amazing. Um, I'll, I'll shift uh, now over and just some like, let's talk a little bit about the market um, in the industry for a moment. Uh, I'm, I'm going to sure. start with like right now, I just, uh, the last couple of weeks, especially we've heard a lot in the industry around um, price hikes from brands, um, cost of groceries, right? Being yeah. challenging for some and, um, and then trade-offs to private label and whatnot. What are you seeing around that? How do you, how do you guys approach that when you think, and, and what have you seen maybe in your own stores? Yeah, it's hard to combat that narrative from a retail standpoint of, you know, just price hikes, because what ends up happening is, you know, it really started with COVID, obviously, with supply chain breaks and stuff like that, where just product availability just wasn't sure. there. And so we were fighting daily to to make sure that we were getting the right, you know, the right stuff at the right times. And what ended up happening was the supply chain kind of broke in a lot, in a lot of different places. And, and 
you know, obviously gas prices going up really drastically affected things like the price of resin. Sure. Right. So when things when things like that go up and we're not able to, you know, take advantage of our scale, you know, what I'll tell you is that the costs go up way faster than the retails do. Right. <laughs> Interesting. So, okay, got it. We, so your margins should, shrink faster than you can uh, like act on that. Our, our, our margins shrink way faster than right. it is able to to get those prices up to where you know we need to get them to to run our business. So it looks like it's a price gouging game from a retailer standpoint, but the reality is that the price and the cost of goods for us has gone up drastically it's like 15 20 sure. percent some of those covid years where we weren't even able to get the price up fast enough to to cover it so it was going up so rapidly and it's still kind of happening although it started to level off now that the gas prices have leveled off some of the stuff that's coming from overseas like you know when we're getting you know uh when it's the chilean season for produce or sure. some of that stuff has come down and some of like the fresh product has leveled out a little bit you know you see meat prices going up and down and egg prices getting all crazy and right. but what i'll say is from the retailer standpoint we try to hold the price as long as we possibly can before we go up sure and it's been it's been a cat and mouse game for the last four years. Interesting, um, but it's it's very it's very difficult to try to stay on top of. But what we try to do is we try to always pass the savings on to the customer as quick as we possibly can without raising. Yeah, and so in my background, we didn't really cover this before we hit record today. But you know, quite a bit of time in the consumer goods and retail space, and you know, there's always kind of been like the standard, you know, every year, uh, let's say small increases, you know. Yeah. negotiated but then it's, covid it's like we need to take more but do those brands now come back and go hey our costs are lower now so we can lower price that never happens right i'm just it, it, it happens but it happens very rarely and it usually happens in the commodity market sector got it right so <laughs> sure. so so cpg brands and stuff like that they typically take smaller increases and then they just stay there right whereas we see in stuff like produce meat you know deli seafood and stuff like that we're constantly playing the commodity markets with supply and demand and we did see a leveling off and even a slight decrease and a little bit of deflation in, in stuff like produce interesting um you know when there's favorable weather conditions and stuff like that because we're not as heavily reliant on packaging and stuff like that where so a lot of times with these rate increases and these cost increases that were coming to us it was due to supply it wasn't necessarily the food i mean a lot of times it is the food that's in the packages as well it's a lot of times it could be packaging it could be the ink that goes on the package sure. it could be the corrugated cardboard that totally that goes around the package aluminum it's glass it's aluminum exactly <laughs> yeah. and every single thing totally. went up Oh, you right. know, so it's it's just pressure on all different sides. So fascinating. Um, you know, not we we really kind of moved on from talking about COVID, but I, I will ask since you're in, a, a retailer, I'm just curious. Like, did that experience, you know, when you when we're going through all the kind of openings and closings, and you know, did it force you to to adopt new technologies or new ways of offering buy online, pick up at curb or uh, online yeah. grocery? Like, how does that how does that world play into your physical store um, focus? Yeah. I mean, yeah, our business definitely changed when COVID hit, for sure. Um, you know, one of the things that we had to rely on 
which thank God we had it in place already, was our pickup and delivery service, right? So that spiked two to three hundred percent. Wow. You know, yeah, of course, of course it did. Right? We could we 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 and but but the you know the downside was we needed human capital and we needed employees to shop <laughs> to do the work, right? <laughs> it, it was difficult to get people to work and and you know and you know understandably so people were scared to come to work. So some of the things that we had changed when when COVID had first hit and we were I think one of the earlier people to adopt this was we were we had changed our entire scheduling um the way we do scheduling so let's just take like a deli department for instance where you know there's four or five guys behind a deli slicing cold cuts for customers waiting on customers you know obviously everybody's in mass and everybody's doing the proper stuff with testing and all that but what we did was we had no overlap between shifts so we would have literal cutoffs where Got this it. shift would come in at six o'clock in the morning, work till three, no overlap. So if there was a COVID positive, at least you'd have it contained and you'd be able to cover it with some of your other employees. Got and it. we did that in every different department, especially the ones where people are in close quarters. Like, you know, you know, our pickup and delivery service is called OPD. It's order pickup deliver. It's, it's our shop right platform. And sure. you know, there's a lot of different people. There's all these these shoppers that are in one room that are shopping all these customers' orders. And you know, we'd have a morning shift, we'd have an afternoon shift, we'd have a night shift, we'd have an overnight shift. So to really decrease the amount of overlap between the people that are coming in to you know reduce risk of infection and all that stuff. Sure. So it was very difficult to 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 put all these things in place. When, you know, especially as the regulations were changing every day, right? right? So we're getting these different regulations that were coming down every day. I put a lot of pressure on us as a retailer because we were the only game in town. You know, the, the supermarkets for a while there were the only people who right. were open. The only ones, so people, right. You know, there a lot of times restaurants weren't open and stuff like that. So people were, you know, heavily relying on us to get their, their food and stuff like that. So I think that we fared pretty well during the pandemic. I mean, you know, obviously supply chain issues were a huge part where we couldn't get certain things at certain times. I think there was a certain point during the pandemic where, you know, our center store, we were out, you know, between 18 and 19 percent of our products. We we just couldn't get, which is a huge amount of products. That's crazy. No, but people were just panic buying. And, right. and we, I remember, we, you know, panic. Yeah. But yeah, you remember how it was just oh whole shell, whole aisles. I, down. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, not to bring up toilet paper again, but oh my God. Like, I mean, yeah, it's just so bulky. Very people are like, why business. is it out? It's like, because you buy one, that's like a half shelf gone, you know, like it's just, exactly. I mean, and our computer systems and our technology platforms, you know, they, right. they can't handle that. They can't, handle you that. Know, they can't predict that. No. So, you know, right. we, we did the best we could you totally. know, with, with the tools that we were given, um, but it was very difficult and it did change our business for sure. You know, we, we saw a huge uptick in you know online shopping um whether it was pickup or delivery sure um and a lot of that stayed but then you know as things got better that started to dwindle down a bit totally started coming back to the store which is great which is what we want yeah stores are booming again um, any trends you've seen around in-store? So, you know, uh, I, I know with some of the major grocers I work with, they've seen a lot of pickup in, like, I'd say perimeter areas. So deli, seafood, sushi, like, and have you seen any specific trends shift over, let's say, not forget about COVID, just over time? Or is yeah. it into fresh, you know, or is it kind of been balanced and it depends on the store? What Anything you, specific you've seen there? So definitely not balanced. It definitely tilts more towards the fresh side, which is obviously a really great thing. Um, During, you know, it it even started before COVID where we started really ramping up our production of prepared foods, right? So we do a big business with prepared foods. We make it all in-house, you know, for our 12 stores. 
Uh, we do, we, you know, we've probably tripled to quadrupled our amount of linears on prepared foods. Sure. So, you know, stuff like produce, you know, during the pandemic, we saw a humongous uptick in citrus. Right. Um, you know, just every, and, and during COVID, <laughs> right. it was really interesting because we saw a lot of people who were working, you know, we have a lot of people in our area that commute back and forth from the city. And so a lot of those people were home. And they all started shopping in the stores, whereas sometimes they were having two or sometimes three meals at work where Got now it. they're home. Now they're home. And yeah. so we saw yeah. a huge uptick, uptick on people learning how to cook with fresh ingredients, which is a really great thing. You know, so people started kind of they had a lot of more time on their hands. They're home with their families. They kind of got back into the cooking routine. And so we've seen the fresh departments really explode, we, you know, even in seafood. Right. So. A lot of time, you know, I guess it was 2020, 2021, where there was, we had some supply chain issues with meat. A lot of people switched over and started cooking fish. Sure. And so, and then they've become accustomed to, to eating that sort of stuff. So we've seen the most drastic uptick in our stores on the perimeter, for sure. Yeah. Between meat, deli, prepared foods, huge, um, you know, and, and produce. So it's, it, you know, it's been... It's been an interesting couple of years because that's always the part of the business that we've put our best foot forward in, right? Sure. So you win with fresh. That's right. you know that's kind of our <laughs> no motto. Doubt. You win with fresh. You know you can get a can of Folgers coffee anywhere, and if it's the right price, that's great. Right. But can you get can you get the right strawberry, the right variety of strawberry? Can you get the right cut of meat? Can you totally. can you get the service behind the meat department where they're giving you a custom cut? And it's that type of stuff. Deli platters, like that's really what sets you apart from everybody else on the street. And we were able to showcase that over the last couple of years because just the trend has been going that way no doubt really really cool um it's made so, us better i bet i bet no doubt yeah. um and not surprising i think that's it's super exciting too to see that area growing um you, you know i was in doing my homework for today i i noticed you have some family members you work with yeah. <laughs> which is, yes i do is that weird or is that like eh, it's just great we're all kind of the cigari family you know hey hey you know looking around the room you know you see him on sunday at dinner and and every day during yeah. the week is that weird or is that good how does that work out it, it's both <laughs> um it's both i mean it's it's great i, I love working with my family you know my, sure. my dad my dad is the president and ceo <laughs> um you know it, it, it's fantastic i actually love it but it comes with its you know unique set of you know issues as well you know and like in any family business it's you know, you're, you're, you got to make sure your family first and then, you know, the business kind of, kind of flows from there, but yeah, there's six of us, right? So the way it works is we are all in charge of our own separate thing and we all work together. Right. And so I'll give you a, for instance, like my uncle David, who joined the, you know, my uncle David owned a catering company, a restaurant and then owned a catering company, super successful catering company for over 30 years. And, you know, the pandemic put a real hurting on his business because he had all corporate accounts, um, you know, mostly in office buildings and weddings and, and, and big events and all that stuff shut down. Right. So he decided to pivot. Yeah. He sold his business at the exact time that we were looking for an executive chef to overhaul not overhaul, but enhance our prepared foods offering, right? So it just so happened that he was doing that, you know, he came into the business, he'd worked in the business as a kid for his whole life because his father 
you know, this is what our family does. So, you know, we have him, he's in charge of, you know, all of our prepared foods and stuff like that. I'm, I'm in charge of, you know, produce and floral and all of our e-commerce stuff. You know, my brother is heavily involved in meat. Um, We have my cousin, Joe, who's in charge of all of our engineering. And he's also involved in deli and seafood. And then my cousin, Dominic, he's in charge (laughs) of like some of the center store stuff. So we all kind of have our specialty. Yeah. And then we all, you know, roll up as as one and it, it works out, you know, really great. Not to say that, you know, it's a perfect it's a, it's a perfect solution, but you know, we've been doing it now for what, almost, almost a hundred years. I was going to say, <laughs> it's know? so cool. I love it. Yeah. But we've, oh, we've grown so, so large and, you know, we, we have, we have an executive staff of about, you know, 15 to 20 people. And so we all have our own unique specialties within that too, but that's True. kind of how it works. And we all kind of come together to, 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 with some of the important and, and, and major issues that, that we face like COVID, you know, we all kind of totally. came together and figured it out as one, but you know, you, your question was, is it weird? Is it good? And it's <laughs> definitely, mean... <laughs> it's definitely both, uh, yeah. but we're weird in a good way. And yeah. so it's, it, it has its challenges and it definitely has its unique good qualities as well. I think that's great. Um, as we uh, get towards the end of our time together, I always love to ask some of the leaders that we um, have on our show some of their you know, bi- you know biggest bits of learning or advice for others. And in in your case, um, you know, as you guys have built this business and seen success and, and growth, you know, what would be two or three things that have been keys to your culture? Like, what has made it that's worked for you guys that you think others could learn from? Like, what's really worked for you and your business? Yeah, it's interesting. And it's, it's, it's something that, that we get asked a lot because we, we have always scored extremely high on our associate engagement. Um, and, you know, one of the real things is that our, our culture has been set for years and years and years. And my grandfather was the real champion that, you know, we treat our customers the way we would want to be treated. Right. So sure. that flows down to everybody. Right. So it, it, it's really that we treat our associates like family, right? So we treat our associates like they're a part of our family and that flows back down to the customer. So everybody knows every day what our standard is. You know, we're all, you know, extremely well versed on what our products are. And I would say like the first thing is really making sure you treat your employees like they're part of your family. I mean, I'm sure we're a family run business, so it's a little different from a corporation. And the other one is, you know, and this was ingrained to me even as a little kid, is making sure you know a day's work in every single employee's shoes. Right? Interesting. So that, I love that I, one. Yeah. And when I first joined the company after I graduated college, you know, I'm like this young punk who is really excited about, you know, <laughs> right. getting into the grocery business and digging in. And and for the first two years that I worked at the stores, I was a clerk. I was going to say, check out bagging, deli, everything. <laughs> flowers. Everything. I mean, right? E- every single Merchandising. thing. For, <laughs> everything. So, no, I mean, I'm talking even collecting carriages and, yeah. and, and sweeping the floors and, you know, working behind the deli for a couple of months. Working, you know, I worked in the meat department for about five months. Um, and, you know, every single piece of the store, I was a receiver. I, you know, I worked as a, on the front end for a long time as a bookkeeper. So I got every single piece of the business 
and I, you know, I, I wasn't super happy about this training program that I was going <laughs> right. to, because I was so excited to get, you know, get into the, the nuts business. and bolts. Right. But, but I, you know, if I were to go back, I would have probably done it for longer just because I think that it really set, you know, totally. the foundation for knowing every single day's work for every single person in the store. So then you can not only, you can not only understand when product, you know, problems arise, but you can also empathize with those people as well, because you understand exactly how their day is run and how it works totally. and some of the problems that arise, you know, how you, you, you may know a solution or at least you'll be able to empathize with them about what's going on and try to move forward. And I love that. That's such great advice. Yeah. When I was at Coca-Cola, yeah. one of the best things I did was, you know, I did route rides whenever I could in different markets and then also merchandising. Like if you have to put cases of two liter and cans on, on shelves, you know, you realize how much work 100%. it is just for that product to get there and like in the yeah. back room and how to work a pallet jack. I'm like, anyway, um, yeah, all great, of that right? stuff is super important. And, totally. you know, if, and for me, when I'm trying to roll out like programs or I'm, you know, I'm trying to push certain totally. agendas or whatever, you know, if the people that are, that are, that are working with me don't understand that I've done this and I right. understand why we're doing it, then so they're just going to say, you know, get out of here. You know, you yeah. don't know what you're talking about. I totally, you know, agree. and you, 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 and in a family, business too you have to battle the nepotism factor right right so you you know you'll get oh you know that but but yet the training program and me working in the trenches for so long right it, it allowed me to really understand every facet of the business and so you know that's something that you know my brother has gone through my cousin dominic and um it's something that you know i think really holds a lot of value in a company is, is really knowing you know what the guys in the trenches are, are what up they're against doing every day totally yeah Exactly. And I couldn't agree more. I think that's excellent advice. Um, and even for those that aren't in the industry, if you want to learn it, it's a great way to get it. You got to get in the nuts and bolts. Um, man, so great to have you with us, Tom. So so much fun today. Share with our audience as we close where they can find you, where they can learn more, where they can come to your stores, all that. Yeah. So uh, we are in, we have 12 locations to, uh, you know, eight, uh, nine, uh, sorry, 10 ShopRite locations and two great, two, two stores that are still little neighborhood markets called Grand A Market. Um, we are found in Stanford, Norwalk, Fairfield, Brookfield, Danbury, Bristol, Southbury. And, you know, so we're in all of those different towns. Um, my Our corporate headquarters is in Norwalk, Connecticut. Uh, you could find us online at singaryfamilymarkets.com. So go ahead and visit there. You can see our whole family story. We're actually <laughs> in the process awesome. of revamping our website. But, yeah, singaryfamilymarkets.com. And, I, you know... I really enjoyed the conversation that we had today, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. We can't wait to have you back on down the road. I can't wait to get into your stores and appreciate you sharing all this great knowledge yeah. with us. And we've got a lot of great new things happening in the next couple of months, so I'd love to come on soon and, and talk about some of the stuff that we're working on. I'm in. We'll make it happen. Thanks, man. Great. Thanks, Justin. The Contender Cast is powered by Contender Brands and is the top global consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast. You can find additional ContenderCast episodes on worldwide podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.